You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible this morning, and I hope you do, or electronic device, we're in Matthew chapter 5, the section of the Beatitudes. We're going to focus on chapter 1, or chapter 5, excuse me, verse 1 through verse number 10. If you're recently new to Antioch, we're working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. One of the ways we can teach, there's many other ways in teaching ideas and thoughts, but one way that we look at Antioch is to take a section of Scripture, and it helps us to have... Uh, connection together with the word and so we're looking forward to our time we're going to be in Matthew for a while so it's just a great section to uh, to hear about the words of Jesus to hear Matthew uh, recording these teachings of Jesus Christ it's going to be a good season for us as we work our way through we're going to be in a section today called the Beatitudes say it with me the Beatitudes all right the Beatitudes are a, a picture of uh, Jesus and the word here giving the idea of the connection with our relationship with him, what that looks like and what it means. Uh, The Beatitudes speak of the word uh, fortunate or congratulations, or this is good, blessed are you. These are good reminders of us and what we have. It's been said the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon that defines and describes Christian character and Christian conduct. Just in this verse, we see these couple of verses. In fact, we can read through it about 15 minutes through chapter 5, 6, and 7. But Bible scholars believe this teaching went on for literally hours at a time. First of all, the disciples gathered. And as the disciples were gathering, by then they, they heard the word that Jesus was speaking. And by the end, they had crowds coming around to hear what Jesus had to say. Kent Hughes, who is a Bible teacher and pastor, put it this way. He said, for the Christian believer... The Sermon on the Mount is simply the greatest sermon ever preached. So today we get to hear from God's word. Amen, church? Really, the greatest sermon ever preached. The words of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate preacher. And this section has a good word for us as Christ followers in our life, with our attitudes and our actions and how we live them out. This is how a Christian should live. This is what Jesus is teaching us through this section, that we should live differently because we're Christ followers. Our life should be different because we're pursuing Jesus and pursuing his righteousness. Let me give you a picture here of what uh, historians believe this was the spot that Jesus spoke this sermon up here on the hills. There's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, didn't have any microphones to amplify, but you've been on a lake sometime, water, you talk and you can just hear the water. So this, this was even Jesus communicating to perhaps even later on, maybe hundreds of people, these teachings from that we're looking at here in Matthew 5, uh, 6, and 7. I like what Steve said last week as he was teaching us through the first part of chapter 5 when he talked about guiding interpretation principles for this sermon. There's four of them. I just want to focus on the first one. He said, we must interpret the sermon from a relationship with the king, 
not for a relationship with the king. Let me read that again. We must interpret this sermon from a relationship with the king, not for a relationship with the king. So it's a great gift for us that we can have this from his teaching to hear the word of God. I would also encourage you to, to take a book, take some notes and stuff. I, I'm not a, you know, any way to help remember those kinds of things. Just a good reminder for us. So let's look at this passage. Let's look here at Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to read together from chapter 5, verse 1 down through verse 10. Please hear God's word. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons or the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Use this passage, use the truth of your word today to change our lives, to encourage us, to convict us. We thank you today we can look at the very words of Jesus. And may this sermon make a difference in my life and make a difference in our lives. Thank you for the privilege of taking time to, to read together, to hear together as a church family the truths of your words. We commit all this to, we pray in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen, amen, amen church. So we're looking at eight particular sections of scripture. Usually a sermon is three points and a poem. Today, eight points and no poem, all right? That's just... So I'm gonna, we're just going to go on, so get comfortable. <laughs> I just missed it. But this is, a long, this is a long section, so I'm going to give it all to you. So enjoy it. It's going to be good. So it's not just going to be three. It's going to be eight, and it's going to be a great time to work our way through it. Number one in this section, recognize your need for God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. All eight Beatitudes begin with the word Blessed. Blessed, again, is a word that conveys approval, fortunate, or congratulations. So when Jesus and when God blessed us, he approved us. He's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's saying, blessed are those in reality who come to me empty-handed. Blessed are those who come to me dependent on me. That's the picture and the significance of this statement being poor in spirit. Not poor financially, but poor spiritually. When we're poor spiritually, we recognize our need for Jesus Christ. We recognize the need. The poor in spirit are those who recognize their need for God's help. Jesus is saying, congratulations, come to me empty-handed. Come to me. Come to me empty-handed. He approves those who recognize that they are totally dependent on him. Think about it, church. We don't think about it a lot, but in essence, we are absolutely, totally repent, dependent 
on Jesus, on him. We think we can kind of navigate our life and live our life and we can do fairly good with that. But we think about this sermon is living our lives, recognizing I am always dependent on Jesus. I'm always dependent on God. I'm not independent. We're dependent on him. And so it's not by accident that this very first beatitude in this Sermon on the Mount is a reference to the poor in spirit. He's beginning to say, hey, we are empty. We, we, we need you, God. We need you. So we come to him with humility. We come to him in reliance on him and who he is. No one can come to Christ without being poor in spirit. It's not about pride. It's not about what you think you can do. We come to him, in essence, almost begging. We are poor in spirit without the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. Psalm 34, verse 18, puts it this way. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I think it's significant when Jesus gives these words in the gospel here in the New Testament, you can reflect back to the Old Testament and just see the word of God and how it connects together and integrates together. He is saying spiritual, being poor in spirit is really essential for spiritual growth. That's how we grow. We're just always working and looking in ways. How can we be more and more like Jesus? We never outgrow this first beatitude of being poor in spirit. If we do, it's about our pride, amen? We think we can do it on our own. We can't do, church, we can't do life on our own. We are absolutely dependent on God and his leadership in our life. For theirs is the kingdom. Those who are poor in spirit, Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are interchangeable in the gospels. Matthew is the only New Testament author who uses only this phrase, the kingdom of, of heaven. Why? Because he's, he's addressing primarily a Jewish audience. And so when Matthew speaks, he says, this is the kingdom of heaven. A teacher and author Tim Keller writes, the kingdom of heaven is nothing less than the power of God. The kingdom of heaven is nothing less than the power of God. The kingdom of heaven comes by hearing, so be careful what you hear. This is a good word for us to hear poor in spirit, that we're dependent upon, upon him. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those, in essence, who confess their spiritual bankruptcy. I am spiritually dependent. I am spiritually bankrupt for my need of Jesus his work in my heart, his work in my life. As Christ followers, we must acknowledge our need for God. Amen, church? We, we need him. Our, our church needs him. Our nation needs God. Our, our world needs God. Poor in spirit. Number two, grieve over your sin is this statement, blessed are those who mourn or grieve for they shall be comforted. Blessed or approved those who mourn or grieve. Mourning represents spiritual, emotional, or a personal loss. He's talking here about our sin, our sinfulness. When we see who we are, look at my life, you look at your life, our response, our emotions should be moving. Man, I, I need him. 
I, I need to grieve over my sin, to mourn over my sin. In the context of Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain, mourn reveals this personal grief over sin. It's a cry of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 when he penned these words, Oh, what a miserable and wretched person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. There is so much truth in that verse, church. That, that verse is just pregnant with truth. In my mind, I want to obey him. He says, and then in my life, in my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Mourning, in reality, is an act of repentance. God, I repent. I, I turn from my sin. Do you mourn or grieve over your sin? Do we think it's just no big deal? These are, these are good reminders for us, a good reminder for me, right? That, that sin isn't trivial, that, that sin is a big deal. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, that great promise in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Those who mourn, he says, are comforted. And the basis of comfort is God's forgiveness. When we confess our sins, he, I'm telling you, church, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. The third beatitude Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I put the point here that consider, he's hit, consider the interest of others. Consider the interest of others. The background of Matthew is a background of a, of a world power of the Romans. They were in charge. All right? They were conquering regions. And so he's speaking to a group of people who are under Roman reign and rule and he's saying in this, be meek, be meek. It's not about powering up on people. As a Christian, we don't, we don't power up on people. It's not, it's not, a, it's not about us. We don't, he's not saying don't power up on people. Meekness implies this concept of a teachable attitude. Meekness, in essence, represents humility. Humility. It implies a teachable attitude. Humility is not thinking less of yourself it is thinking of yourself less. Humility. To be humble before God. James 4, 6 reminds us, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, let nothing be done through vain glory, but in humility of mind, let each others recognize their need for each other. He's saying here, consider the interest of others in this section of the meek. Jesus was meek and lowly. Matthew, for example, chapter 11, verse 29, he is meek and lowly in heart. The word lowly is translated, really in essence, the word humble or humility. That Jesus is humble. As believers... We humble ourselves before him and before his truth. Our, our church uh, pastors went through a, a book. We read a book every month together. We read through a book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. 
And it's, it's a great book on this whole section here of Matthew chapter 12. And here's what he said in his book. He's the point in saying that Jesus is lowly is the fact that he is accessible. I love that word, that Jesus is accessible. No one in human history has been more approachable than Jesus Christ. You know people maybe where you work in the environment that maybe the upper people, they're just not accessible, right? You just can't get to them. I'm telling you, church, Jesus is totally accessible, no matter what's going on in your life, church. Think about that for a moment. What a great gift that is. You know, you try to get some things done these days, you just can't get some things done these days, man. It's just a different, a different day. We're not, we're not accessible. We, we can't get that done. It'll be done maybe in a month from now. God doesn't say, okay, Bob, you're asking for something. I'll get back with you in about a month, all right? I'll send you a text. Think about it, church, that he is abs- here it is. He's absolutely accessible. That's powerful. And not only that, he's approachable. You know people, I know people who just aren't approachable. Jesus is approachable. Right? He, he, welcomes, he welcomes us. What a great reminder that is, he's, ble- he's gentle and he's lowly. The reward for meekness is that you will inherit the kingdom, or excuse me, you will inherit the earth. Uh, this phrase, inherit the earth or land, really is an Old Testament reference known as the Old Testament area of the promised land. He is saying the humble represent those who put their trust and surrender to his authority. Just like those in the Old Testament, the promised land, look to God for their leadership. We today in the New Testament air look to Jesus for our leadership and surrender to his authority. Surrender to his authority. Psalm 37, verse 10 and 11 says, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek will inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Meekness is humility. Meekness is not powering up on people. Meekness is not thinking you know everything, right? We're meek and humility. I I could use more humility. This section over here could use, okay, you could use, I mean, we kind of get how that, we, we all could use a little more humility in our lives. And to represent the fact that we are dependent on him, dependent on him. Number four, pursue what is right, or what I would say, pursue right living based on five, six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let that statement sink in. Blessed are those who, who have this hunger and thirst for righteousness. We all know what it's like to be hungry and thirsty, and, and how that drives us, right? We, I, I just got to get something to eat. I'm so, I'm so hungry. I, I'm so thirsty. I got to have something. You've, you've been there just parts. I just need something to drink. I'm thirsty or hungry. We know what that feels like and the weight of that. And he's saying this in the, in the context with the idea that hunger and thirst, you know, drives us physically. He's talking about this hunger and thirst that would drive us spiritually, Right? To, to grow in the grace and knowledge, to have this thirst for what I would say righteousness for right living. That our thirst and hunger should be, by God's grace, I want to live my life in a way that honors him and be right 
in the way that I live. In the context of Matthew 5, this hunger and thirst in reality describes a sense of desperation, a sense of urgency. I, to be honest with you, I, I've never been in a place where I had just like, was just an emergency to have something to drink, right, or eat. We, I think for the most part, you know, some of you here have happened that, but for the most part, we are super very, very blessed with that. So it's hard for us to understand we haven't eaten for three days or six weeks or whatever it is, how that works, but he's just reminding us here spiritually. Do, do we have this hunger for him? Or do we just sort of go through the motions? Do we, do we spend any time in this book called the Bible just growing in the, the word? It's like, you know, eating and taking the word and, and having that thirst and hunger for, for right living in our life. To me, these are convicting areas, church. It's, it's good for us to feel the weight of that and the conviction of this. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness recognize that God is the ultimate source of true righteousness. I think Steve brought it out last week, talking about righteousness. There's that, first of all, that legal righteousness, that righteousness that is justification, that you are declared righteous in God. I didn't know when I came to Christ as a 16-year-old, the moment I said yes to Jesus, legally, I was righteous. I was justified. And then there's this thought of moral righteousness, which is sanctification, which is that process of becoming more and more like Jesus. We're always growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In essence, we never ever arrive. For me, for my example is, here, here's how it works for me. Three or four steps this way, and then it's like, uh, one or two steps back this way. You know, I just kind of keep, as I keep going, it's just, it's how it is. For me, it's never been just full blown out. You might like, there's some people in here probably who can do that, just never had an issue with anything. You know, you're always going forward. The, word, the conviction is good when we're convicted of our sin. That's, that's a gift, church, to be convicted. The Holy Spirit lives in us and he convicts us of our sin. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's important to note that in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, righteousness is used seven times in this thought and idea of, of righteousness, conforming to God and who he is, conforming to him and his will. That Romans chapter 12, verse one and two, that classic passage, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's so easy for us to be conformed to this world. Right? We live in this world. Right? We, we work in this world. We spend a lot of time in this world and it, it affects us by what we watch, what we see and what we hear. Are you, right, church? It affects us, what we hear. So we understand that. We, we can be conformed and molded into something we, that God said, I don't want you to be molded like that, Bob. So he's, he's saying here in the text, don't be conformed to this world. In other words, don't be squeezed into the mold of this world, but be transformed. This metamorphosis that takes place, a, a transformation. That word trans, it just means there's a change in our life. When God convicts us, we confess and, we, and he works in our heart and he changes our life. But we can prove is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's like, that, it's like that gap. Good, acceptable and perfect will of God. That by his grace, we are living in the gap. Good, 
acceptable and the perfect will and design of God for our life. That's where we want to be, amen, church? We want to be in that gap, living out what God has called us to live. Simply put, righteousness is being right with God. Righteousness means I'm being right with God. The result of righteousness is satisfaction. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied, will be filled. And by God's grace, may we long to be more and more like Jesus. More and more like Jesus. Number five, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The words I use here are to demonstrate compassion. Mercy means full mercy. It's the, it's the idea of compassion. The merciful are those who relate to others with a compassionate spirit, with a, with a forgiving heart, where it's not about Bob, it's about others. It's not about you, but it's about somebody else. It's that picture of mercy to others. It's been said that mercy is love in action. And there's some people in this room today, you're all about mercy. It's just, it's just who you are, right? Romans 12 gives us that picture that some have the spiritual gift of mercy, which is, is good. That's great, the gift of mercy. But if you don't have the gift of mercy, we, we still should work on mercy, right? We should still work on that. Just make mercy, is willing to say, I forgive you. Here at church, forgiven people forgive. Sometimes it's hard to forgive. You may have some people in this room today, just, you know, somebody I just need to forgive. And sometimes it's just hard. They don't deserve it. I didn't deserve forgiveness from God. You didn't either, right? But to have that open, that's, that's what he's teaching us here. And it's merciful because here's what it is. When you forgive, you'll be forgiven. It's that picture, blessed are the merciful for they get it back, you know, if you want to have somebody show mercy to you, be giving mercy to others. Theologian D.A. Carson writes, mercy is a loving response prompted by the misery and helplessness of the one whom the love is to be given. Now, only a theologian could say that. Let's read it again, all right? It's a good word from Carson. Mercy is a loving response prompted by the misery and helplessness of the one whom the love is to be given. Mercy is not only generous in giving, it is generous in forgiving. Forgiving demonstrates that you have been forgiven. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. I think forgiveness is a, is a big piece for us as Christ followers, to, to release someone, to forgive someone. Because what that does, when we don't forgive, it just eats away at our heart, it eats our heart to forgive others. A good word. I, I came across an illustration, and a lady I've heard before and came across an illustration from Corey Tenboom. Anybody remember that name, Corey Tenboom? Uh, who was in uh, the, the Holocaust, uh, she a Holocaust survivor, uh, was, was taken by her family and, and put into uh, the concentration camps. And uh, she became, uh, she's a believer. After that, she was quite the teacher. 
and also a, a book reader. She, she wrote the book called The Hiding Place, and uh, I think she passed away in the early 70s. But I just came across this thought. I hope it'll encourage you with this thought of forgiveness. Her, her, her words. The late Corey Timboom called in her book, The Hiding Place, a post-war meeting with a guard from Ravensbrück concentration camp where her sister had died and she herself had been subjected to horrible indignities. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück, he was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly, it was all there. In my mind, the room of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, and her sister Betsy's painful and paled face. This former guard came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein, he said. To think as you say, he washed away my sins. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often to others the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled up through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me forgive him. I, I tried to smile, I, I struggled to raise my hand, and I couldn't. I, I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. The power of forgiveness. There may be some in this room, you, it, you just need to let it go, to forgive. That God would reconcile. It's not easy. It's, it's hard. There have been times in my life where I've had to just step into something and you know, it's my thought, they don't deserve to be forgiven. Right? But I thought, I don't deserve to be forgiven. Forgiveness is a big deal, church. The lack of forgiveness can, can derail your life and produce in your life a sense of bitterness. Bitterness. Simply put, those who show mercy receive mercy. Number six, live with integrity. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. The word pure is defined as clean, innocent, or upright. The Beatitudes call for a radical inner purity of the heart. The heart represents the core of your being, who you are. The, the heart is the steering wheel of your life. It, 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 it directs your life. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? The pure in heart are those who pursue purity and then have respect for others. God is concerned with my inward character and my outward conduct. He's concerned with your character, your conduct, because my attitude and your attitude determines my actions. 
So here's an important word, church. Being poor in spirit or poor in heart is not about being perfect, but it's about being honest with God, being honest with him. James chapter four, verse eight, James writes, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded means someone who is wavering or someone who is unstable. A double-minded person is someone who is trying to serve both self and both God, and it doesn't really work out too well. Many times we are double-minded in our, in our heart, double-minded. Psalm 24, three and four says, who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand at his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. That verse in Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life. Think about it. Guard your heart for out of your heart, out of your being flow the issues of life. Why? Because your heart determines the course of your life. Heart. We guard and protect our hearts. Let me just read here from Proverbs. I, the, the quote that 423 is a, is a challenging verse and a good verb. Hear what he says after this, what Solomon writes. Guard your heart, all right? Then he goes on to say in verse 24, put away from you crooked speech. And put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. All those are statements that remind us to guard our hearts. Just talk to men for a moment in this room. Men. We, we must guard our hearts, right? Guard our hearts for our family's sake, for God's sake. Personally, we live in a world that is so visual, right? We live in a world uh, that puts emphasis on looking at things we shouldn't be looking at. Guard your heart. Purity is important. Uh, I'm trying to think of the statement the writer said about purity. Purity is smart and impurity is stupid, right? Purity is smart, but impurity is, is stupid. We've got to guard our heart, guard our eyes. I enjoy going to uh, the gym. usually go, you know, four, five times a week. But I've noticed when I'm there, I've got to guard my eyes, man. Right? So... What I've been doing lately is taking these off. Uh, I, I, right now where I'm at, I can just barely see you guys. That's a good thing. So the last couple of months when I go to the gym, I take these off in the car and walk in. And it's very helpful for me. When I'm on the elliptical, I put in some teaching in my ears. And when I do elliptical, I just keep my eyes closed for 15 minutes and cool down. Try to guard my heart. Sometimes, this guy, you can't help what you see seen the first time, but you, have to, you can help the second look, right? Are you with me, guys? Just being honest with you. But sometimes you can't help. Boom. I'm just amazed. Ladies help us here, right? 
I'm amazed at what people wear at a gym. It's got to be transparent with you, man. I've even thought about sometimes, I've talked to my wife, and my wife, I'm accountable with my wife about this, and maybe I need to stop going to the gym. Maybe I need to have a gym at home. I don't know. You know I mean, I just, there's just stuff out there, man, right? Right? You've got to guard your heart. Guard your heart for your family's sake. Guard your heart for your spouse's sake. So please hear my heart. I'm not beating up on ladies in the room here. That's not my, my picture here. I'm just saying, guys, for us, we've got to just put our, keep our eyes where we need to be going, man. And it's not always easy. Sometimes, you, like I said, you can't help the first look, but you can help the second look. We're going to get to that here later on in our passage too. Amen, church? We're going to get, going to, get to that later. Uh, I remember I just was thinking about the teaching here and was convicted by that. I thought about this song as a, a church. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Remember that song, the little kid song? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above, he is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. There's a lot of theology there, man, right, isn't it? A lot of, a lot of theology in how we live our life. Do we, all, do I, we don't always get it together. We don't always get it right, church. That's why confession is good. We can call it to confess, and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. Be encouraged by that. The benefit, the pure in heart, they see God. They see God for who he is. Okay, we gotta, we gotta move on here. We gotta get you out of here, all right? I think Steve goes to about 11.15. I'm gonna beat it today, all right? I'm gonna get you out of here before that, all right? Are we on number seven then? Yes. Quickly, make peace a priority. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. The word peace means wholeness, overall well-being. Peacemakers are those who pursue and promote peace both personally and corporately. They're active in pursuing reconciliation with God and others. It's, it's, most of us avoid conflict, but conflict is that, important, is that opportunity to solve problems. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul writes, if possible, as far as depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Romans 14, 19, so then let us pursue what makes peace for mutual upbuilding. Ephesians 4, 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. Jesus said in John 14, 27, just prior to his crucifixion, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, he says. I give you that peace. I leave peace with you. So what? Why are peacemakers called the sons of God? Because the sons of God reflect the character of God. When we are peacemakers, we reflect and demonstrate God and his peacemaking. How, how he's made peace with us, man, I, I, through faith in Jesus Christ. Number eight, realize trouble is inevitable. Blessed are those, congratulations are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When I read that, I just thought, just consider the weight of that statement. It's hard for us to get our arms around that, what it really means to be persecuted. I, I've never been persecuted. Have you? Maybe you have. 
I can't imagine. I believe in the days we live, we're going to experience more persecution. And how are we going to handle that? How are we going to do that? He says, when that happens, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Why? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a great reminder. In the context of Matthew chapter Five in context always determines meaning. He's, the persecuted here are individuals in this context who've been wrongly treated because of their faith. And he's saying, by God's grace, remain faithful even in times of opposition. Stay faithful. Living a life that reflects these beatitudes is an invitation to persecution. Jesus was persecuted. We experience some of that now lightly, but I believe as the days go on, we're seeing it around the world in different places, we're going to experience more and more until Jesus comes, more and more persecution until Jesus comes. And how do we handle that? How do we, how do we work through that? We'll talk more about that next week as we look down to verse 11 and 12 and following. And this righteousness reminds us of integrity and correctness and living a way that makes much of Jesus in our life. And when it's all said and done, the church will be persecuted. The church will be persecuted. As one said, it will be the church or it is not the church at all. Right? The church or not the church at all. Let me give you a word here from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, where Paul writes, in, in fact, all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his name. You know, I, I'm not saying bring it on. I don't, it's like, like I'm looking for it, want it. I'm just saying when it comes, church, we've got to be ready to stand in, right? And live out our faith and not capitulate not check out, but live in a way that makes much of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven, again, is that rule of God and the person of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are interchangeable. The kingdom of heaven is nothing less than the power of God. We experience, church, the, the very power of God. And the kingdom of heaven comes by hearing so be careful what we hear. Amen? Be careful what we hear. Let me close with a few questions here. There's eight of them. Just briefly, I think for us to process what we've talked about. It's not, this, my, my point here when I did this study, like, it seems like it's a lot of information, and it is. But I, I want it to be transformation, right? We, it's not just about more information, which is that we need that. But now it's trans, how can we live this out in transformation. Let me give you a couple questions. First, do you recognize your need for God? Do you live in a way that you recognize, I, I need God? Or have you come to the place in your life where I'm just kind of doing pretty good on my own and really don't think much about it? Number two, do you grieve over sin? Do you mourn over sin? Do you and I see that sin is a big deal and that Jesus saves us from our sin, right? That we're saved, but we still have that sin nature. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. 
And I believe when we confess, and I, I work on it a lot in my own heart, to, 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 it's not just say, God, confess my many sins, amen. The context of that is specifically naming them. What, what is your sin, Bob? God, forgive me for, and you name it before him. It's good that it really helps us to name it, all right, to name what that is. Number four, or three, do you exemplify humility? Does your life represent humility? Where you're not powering up on people and just angry and, and harsh. Lots can be said about that. Do you live right before God? Or is your Christianity more just kind of a Sunday kind of a thing? We're here for an hour and a half or so. We check out and pretty much the rest of the week, it's just a free for all. Are, by, and again, by God, are we walking in grace? Are we are living in, in a way of, of confession and, and looking for ways to serve other people and how we're making a difference in the lives of others and our neighbors, all those kinds of things in your family? Do you extend mercy? Are you a person who holds grudges and doesn't release that and just and forgive someone? Much could be said about that. Do you pursue purity? Is that, is that a part of your life that I'm pursuing purity? Do you promote peace? Do you promote peace in your family dynamic? Peace in your marriage? Peace in the work environment? You know, we can be in church here and we can kind of look really good here and do all those kind of things, but we walk out the door and then the kind of real life happens. And, and how does that work, you know? Do I get it right all the time? Believe me, I don't follow me around. And I'm a, I'm a mess, man, all right? Thank God for his grace, amen? But how do we move forward in that and grow in those areas? Do you promote peace? And then do you experience persecution? You know, I don't think anybody's looking for it wanting to get it. I, I really, over the years, haven't had a lot of that, I mean, really actual persecution. I've had people who didn't agree with me or maybe made fun of what I was doing as in my career as a pastor, but I've never had anybody really persecute me. But I believe the days could be coming for us, for our faith, amen, church, amen. that we can't cower down and we've got to stand firm. I'll get more about that next week as we look through the other areas of the, the passage. When we talk about the light of the world, the salt of the earth, all that kind of comes together with these beatitudes. Hey, church, I love you. I'm glad to be a part of this family here at Antioch. Uh, thank you for being a part of Antioch as well. If you're a guest, again, welcome. Thanks for being here. And I just want to say this before I close out and pray. Let's, let's contemplate on these eight beatitudes. Maybe you can have a conversation at home with your spouse or a family. Hey, these eight things, what about, kind of look through it. I'm not trying to make it like a checklist. But just kind of look through it and say, yeah, I could, there's an area here I could, I, could get, I could be better at by the grace of God, amen, and how I can do it. And maybe perhaps in this room you've never put your faith in Jesus. And today could be a defining moment for you to recognize it's not about being a good person. It's about God's grace call upon his name. The Bible says we're all sinners. We call upon his name. We can have eternal life in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for our church family. I know it's been a long morning. It's been, you know, eight points, but it's your word. Your word is living. Your word is alive. So use these words, your words, not my words, your words, your teaching to make it, to, to change me to change those who are in these seats, those who are watching online. God, give us your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. amen.
Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.